0: action network podcast what's going on everybody welcome in to the action network podcast today we have our UFC fight night betting preview. Santos V. Hill is your main event at UFC Apex in Las Vegas. We get to the main event, of course. We'll get there momentarily. Also, coming up on the pod, which, by the way, when we do UFC, it's every Friday as the schedule uh, plays out based on the schedule. We come and join you on Friday to get you ready for Saturday. Favorite underdog plays, fight of the night, favorite props. We'll get a DFS breakdown and also best bets. Sean Zarillo. Billy Ward, the usual crew uh, for this uh, this show. Brendan Glasheen with you as well here on the Action Network podcast. Let's uh, uh, let's dive right in. Hill Santos is our main event this week. Sean Zerillo, how are you? Uh, and of course, when we do this, we don't just talk about who we like to pick on the money line. We there's there's an angle to this. So what's the angle on the main event uh, for the best betting angle?
1: Yeah, I would lean to Hill on the money line around minus three hundred. Even as a big favorite, I view him as the better fighter on the feet. Seven years younger, better cardio, taller, longer, probably hits harder, and he's the natural light heavyweight where Santos used to compete at 185 where he did his best work. Has not looked like his former self since returning from double knee surgery after fighting John Jones. He still is durable. He has not been KO'd since 2018, but he also hasn't scored a finish of his own in a while either, and he's been much less aggressive since coming back from injury as well, seeming very tepid unwilling to engage, particularly in the pocket, staying on the outside of the cage, moving around, easy to take down. Do not expect Hill to take him down. Hill has also shown some grappling deficiencies of his own as arm snapped by Paul Craig has been proven to be able to take him down, be taken down in the past. Do not really see Santos wrestling him, but that probably is Santos's best path to victory is to probably grapple offensively. Cause I think that's where, Jamal Hill has his biggest weakness, but I think eventually Hill takes over with cardio, can gas him out with pressure, can overwhelm him with pressure. Curious to see how Hill approaches the fight. If he's just going to kind of force the issue and swing wildly and try to get another early finish, because he's had a number of early finishes, especially of late. But he's proven that he can go three rounds, he can go five rounds, he can rack up a hundred significant strikes in three rounds. So, I think he eventually takes over this fight to a pretty significant degree, especially late. But based on how he's been fighting of late, he may just come out quickly and try to score a knockout. So, the way that I'm betting this, the way I see value is the overs, the over one and a half, two and a half, maybe even the fight to go to decision around plus 300. I projected that at about plus 250. So, slight value there. And also, he'll buy decision at around five to one, six to one. I would make that line closer to plus. 400 so would bet the overs and the hill by decision props if i'm playing this fight i'm still not sure 100 how i'm playing it because hill as i mentioned could just kind of come out and force the issue and create a brawl and and force one of them to get knocked out rather quickly so definitely tepid just based on how hill might approach this fight especially coming off of a string of early knockouts but i think the value side is in the overs and in the fight to go longer
0: Santos on the money line is plus 250 MMA analyst uh, at Action Network, former MMA fighter Billy Ward here as well. Billy, how are you playing the main event?
2: Yeah, I'm, I'm seeing it a little bit differently than Sean, but kind of along the same lines. I just think with it being a five-round fight, I have a really hard time seeing this one go all five rounds. I think Hill gets it done before that. And it's just a way better line at Hill by TKO is minus 140. There's almost zero chance he submits submits him or submits anyone so if you're going to play inside the distance, you might as well get the better price on the knockout, and that's minus 140. And mostly with Sean, I think, like, it's likelier to happen late. You know, uh, Sian, uh, Santos has been complaining a little bit about some of his opponents not wanting to get in fist fights with him and not wanting to strike back and forth. So I think Santos is going to be bringing it forward a little bit. I don't think he's going to try to offensively wrestle. With that said, every fighter says that every time, how they just want to stand and bang. If he's smart, he wouldn't actually do that against Hill. But I really think he'll the best striking in the division, or at least the best boxing. And, you know, he's a really good counter striker. So if Santos is really coming forward, I think he eventually finds him and puts him out late. So, yeah, I don't hate the over one and a half, over two and a half. But I think he'll finish him a little bit later on to this fight and minus 140 for his TKO line. I think if he wins it, it's, you know, 80, 90 percent chance that he wins it by knockout. So. That's why I'm playing. Yeah, I was thinking Hill like round three, four,
1: five, which is why those one and a half, those two and a halfs were interesting to me. But I'm kind of like scared to play the go to the decision, to play hill by decision at bigger plus numbers. So maybe the over one and a half at juice minus 150 or so is the best way to play it for me.
0: Okay, scanning the card, and we also keep our eyes on the prelims for those of you new to the uh to the podcast when we break down UFC. So we 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 go through the whole card. Um, in, in this case, all 12 fights. Favorite underdog play, Zerillo. Yeah, this is an awful
1: card. I'm actually not going to be playing a lot of money lines. I'm mostly going to be playing totals. The one underdog at a juicy number who I think is the best chance of winning is Jason Witt around plus 200. He should be winning more minutes here against the Contender Series and Josh Quinlan. Quinlan, undefeated amateurs professionally, 100% knockout rate, but definitely a guy you can wrestle, get on top of, He's been able to reverse positions against lesser grapplers, scramble back to his feet. Witt has pretty good top control, and he does a lot of damage from top two. So if Witt just grapples immediately, which he should, I think he can get takedowns and certainly win minutes here. The problem is he may have the worst chin in the UFC. This guy, every time you touch his chin, just goes on chicken legs, looks like he's on skates. So he may be winning this fight up until the moment he loses. He may get an early takedown. Quinlan gets back up, hits him once and the fight's over. He may even win the first two rounds and then can't get a takedown in the third because he's tired and get knocked down with the first punch that lands clean. So Quinlan is taller, has the reach advantage. He's the better striker. And I think he has solid takedown defense, but I do like Witt's wrestling. I can certainly see Witt winning this fight, but probably my preferred way to play this fight Is just to bet the under two and a half rounds at minus 170. The fight doesn't go to a decision at minus 200. I could see Wick ground and pounding him to a win. Could see him getting a submission on the mat, or most likely Quinlan just connects once and knocks him out of the feet.
0: I'm happy Zarillo got that in there. I was curious when he'd mentioned that uh, some of these money lines are really ugly uh, on this card. So we got that. We got to that uh, eventually. That's good. Um, Billy, how about yourself? Favorite underdog play?
2: Real quick, I do really like Sean Steak. Just wanted to mention Quinlan was suspended for testing positive for a banned substance after his contender series bout. And you know, having fought in some regional scenes before, not all these states are really good about testing for that. So when you see a guy test positive the very first time he fights on a Zufa owned promotion, that raises some red flags for me. So, <laughs> you know, whether he was using stuff the whole time or it was truly just, you know, the um tainted supplement that everybody says. I don't know, but that that's another like point towards wit. I think, when a guy, the first time he probably faced a real strenuous drug test, immediately failed it and was suspended for nine months. So, But yeah, anyway, moving on, my favorite underdog is Miranda Granger. She's at plus 185 on MGM is the best line. Now, this will be her first fight back after having a kid and we talked about this a little bit the records of women fighters who carried their babies coming back is really not as bad as i thought it would have been i looked up a few you know when they come back too quickly that seems to be more of an issue but she's had a pretty good layoff in here and she just has a really good matchup against gory mckenna mckenna's one one in the ufc she lost to elise reed who's not great and then beat Kay hansen who doesn't really seem to be much of a fighter and was cut shortly thereafter that so neither of those are impressive you know Granger's only one and two but she fought way tougher competition she has a somehow has a 10-inch reach advantage against McKenna in this one which I can't recall ever seeing especially with people that short so she should get the better of the striking exchanges And then it's just another one where if we've got a female fight, highly likely to go to a decision, going to be kind of low level, that's when I want the plus money. So at plus 185 or so, that's the best line still out there. That's one, if you're listening, I would get to right away because she's been dropping throughout the week with MGM being a little bit of an outlier and not having moved it down yet. Okay, the
0: fight of the night that Sean and Billy uh, want to discuss. uh, Luke v Neal. Luke on the money line, minus 180 uh neil is at plus 155 uh, that is one of the that is a welterweight uh, matchup again these fights are it's not pay-per-view it's on espn or espn plus um it varies so just keep on the schedule but yes luke neil shonzarello again like you kind of said you kind of adhere to this in the in the last uh in the underdog discussion you might be playing uh, totals more so than you will money lines. so is that kind of the same way you'll go about this yeah, I like this fight to
1: go to a decision and plus money. Uh, both of these guys very durable. Do not see any submission threat from Jeff. Neil can expect him not to get knocked out by Vicente Luque. Luque should be trying to pressure a lot, but Neil tends to back up, be very low volume, tends to try to get his fights to a slow paced affair where he is the guy with bigger power. He's probably going to lose on volume, may end up landing the biggest shot of the round and flipping it in his favor. So I think the margins here should be pretty close, even though I expect Luque to be more aggressive, to land more volume throughout the course of the fight. But the fact that Neil is a southpaw may take away some of Luque's best weapons. We are getting southpaw versus orthodox in this matchup. So he's not going to be able to kick the leg as easily, not going to be able to land his left hook as easily. I do trust him to be more active, would expect Luque to win more minutes, as I said. But this should be a competitive fight likely goes to decision more often than not. I think I made it about 53%, so minus 115, and you can get a plus 125 on that number. So the over two and a half fight to go to decision. And then either fighter to win by decision in the prop market as well. I think you can find value on either of their decision props. I know some of our Action Network contributors are taking a shot on Neil by decision at four to one. I think it's going to be a razor close decision if it gets to the scorecard. So just the GTD for me at plus money. I'll probably end up skipping the fighter to win by decision props.
0: And one of, one of those daring people is Billy Ward. Explain yourself.
2: Yeah. I mean, Sean pretty much laid out everything that I was looking at too, in the same way. The only thing I will say is Luke has never been finished in the UFC, but he's one in four in fights that go to a decision. So, you know, I don't know how like sustainable that is, or whether it's a feature of judging or just how he fights doesn't play well to the judges, but you know, 20% 20% win rate when the fights go to a decision isn't great and then Neil also has a better track record against their two common opponents he he beat Bilal Muhammad who Luke lost to and then Neil got a faster finish against Nico Price you know I don't love the whole MMA math thing but I think there's an angle to him being better longer in a fight where Lukee probably has the better quick stoppage odds is the more aggressive fighter so if I'm going to play it I'll just take the four to one odds lay like half a unit on it and you know hope Neil gets the decision and it's probably if it goes to a decision people are going to complain on either side so i want the longer ticket <laughs> when it's one that we're going to be whining about you know let's go to props
0: that's next here on the uh, the action network cast ufc betting preview ufc fight night main event santos and hill uh in las vegas zarillo where are we looking in the prop market Yeah, I like Sergey Spivak on the money line. I also like Brian Battle on the money line. I'm
1: probably going to parlay those two guys up. But in terms of prop bets, Spivak inside the distance at minus 120 may be the best way to play him. Also, that fight to end inside the distance at about minus 200. We'll get to a similar way. I'm playing my best bets as well just for a different fight, but basically the same bets. Fighter to win inside the distance, fight to end inside the distance at roughly similar prices too, minus minus 120, about minus 170, minus 200 on the fight to end inside the distance. I like Spivak in this matchup in a heavyweight fight, even as a big favorite because he's reliable to shoot takedowns. He has all the grappling upside here, not something you typically see from a heavyweight, but he is aggressive in pursuit of his takedowns, shoots over five or six per 15 minutes, lands more than three, 60% accuracy. He's really good at getting them from clinch positions too, which is where Sakai likes to fight in close from that Muay Thai clinch. So I certainly see Spivak getting into that clinch and getting trip takedowns from there. Sakai got out grappled by a kickboxer and over him, taken down multiple times. I expect Spivak to be able to take him down. And when he does get the fight to the mat, I expect him to be able to keep it there too. Sakai not good at getting off of his back, tends to throw strikes and closes guard rather than trying to get back up and progress position. So with heavyweights on top of you, it's harder to get back up in general, but it's really hard to get back up when you're not trying to get up. I think this fight could be competitive on the feet as well. I don't necessarily see Sakai having some huge advantage in the striking. So competitive on the feet, all the grappling upside towards the Spivak side. I think he gets on top and either finds a submission or pounds Sakai out from Mount. So Spivak inside the distance, minus 120, fight to end inside the distance. Around minus two hundred. I think you could play either. You could play both. I'll probably end up playing both. Billy, props. What do you
2: like? Yeah. Well, I really like it's really hard to get up if you don't try to. Which is <laughs> it's one of those weird truisms. <laughs> but yeah, um, I'm looking at the female fight between Priscilla Cachohea and Ariane Lipsky. Uh, Cachohea is nicknamed Zombie Girl because she kind of just walks forward Korean zombie style just taking punches to the head she eats almost eight significant strikes per minute in her fight and uh she's seen three of her last four go end inside the distance so has Lipski so I'm targeting the under two and a half I just think Kachoeh's style kind of makes it so either she gets finished or her opponent does she's just going to walk forward until somebody dies and I prefer the under two and a half it's plus 155 you can get plus 120 that it ends inside the distance but the odds of the stoppage happening in the last two and a half minutes are probably not as high as that line would imply. If you break down the implied odds, you tend to see more finishes early than late as fire fighters tire out. So, yeah, you know, I usually don't like betting female fights to end inside the distance or end early. But, you know, someone nicknamed the zombie girl fighting against a Muay Thai fighter who tends to get finished on the ground is kind of a perfect recipe for this one to end fast.
0: Hey, always when we do this, we do this show on uh, Action Network podcast as we get a little DFS breakdown. I admit I am recording today in Connecticut, so I can't pull up the contest, Billy. It's so freaking annoying. I always forget about that part. <laughs> Give it to me because I don't have the salaries and I can't pull them up because you can't do that stuff here in Connecticut.
2: Yeah, um, I actually would rather not be looking at these salaries myself. This is just <laughs> a terrible, it's a terrible DFS slate because there's yeah. a, Bunch of, you know, really wide money lines, as we've talked about. And all those fighters are really appealing. You know, Mike McHale, Olajeshuk, really want to get him in there. Really want to get Terrence McKinney in there. Spivak, who Sean just mentioned. Obviously, Jamal Hill. Like, these guys are all close to or above 9,000. And I just don't really see any underdogs that I, or cheap underdogs, that I really like for GPP. So, you know, one of these cheap fighters is going to probably shock everyone. And that's going to be the one you need. But I don't have the slightest clue who it is this time. I'm just going to mix and match, you know, two or three of those expensive fighters, try to let the Fantasy Labs Optimizer do the work and mix in some of those cheaper fighters. And, you know, sometimes you get lucky on those. I'm going to take a stand. I don't want any Santos. But even the other three, like, could Augusto Sakai pull a knockout out of somewhere? Maybe. I don't know. Crazier things have happened. So that's what we're looking at. You know, it's not a bad cash game slate. Okay. I think there's some of the cheap... Cheaper female fighters are in good spots. You know, we just talked about uh, Miranda Granger is only 7,100. Don't love her for GPPs. Don't think she puts up a big score there. So, yeah, outside of that, like I said, this is one where I'm not trying to get too deep into specific fighters. we are going to block off the fighters I don't like and let the optimizer do the work.
0: Yeah, I'm like half kidding. I know we can pull up the optimizer, but um, <laughs> it's more for effect. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, being in Connecticut, I can't even open up the thing. So, anything to add there, Zorilla? before we go to best bets? This is somehow
1: a worse DFS slate than it is a betting slate. Uh, I agree completely with Billy. Like none of these underdogs are appealing since he brought up Terrence McKinney, The one thing I will say McKinney is about as aggressive as a fighter as you will ever see uh, tends to get his guys out of there early, but if he doesn't, he can gas out big time. So Eric Gonzalez, 6,700 on DK live after round one. That's going to be pretty appealing. You may get like 15 to one on this guy after McKinney maybe 10-8s him in the first round. So look for Eric Gonzalez to potentially steal a comeback in the second or third round if he can survive the opening frame live after round one on Gonzalez, I think is an appealing play.
0: Okay, before we wrap, as we always do, best bets for UFC fight night. And uh, we're going to start with Zerillo. What do you got? Yeah, I
1: mentioned you know how I'm betting a fight. Uh, this feedback fight in the top prop section, I'm betting the McCall say Chuck versus Sam Alvey fight in pretty much the exact same way. McCall inside the distance at minus 120 fight to end inside the distance at minus 170. I think this is actually pretty good matchmaking. Now Alvi is 36 years old on 07 and one in his past eight UFC fights probably getting cut here even if Heath manages to win. But McCall pressures a ton and Alvi prefers to be on the back foot and counter. So it's actually very good matchmaking from a violence perspective because Oleg Stachuk's going to look to swarm him, pressure him, especially in the small cage. Alvi's going to look to move backwards and land one huge left hand. Oleg Stachuk does a really good at keeping a high tight guard even when he's moving forward. He's very good at moving his head as well, defends strikes at 64%. I would imagine his head strike defense is probably even higher because he's very easy to kick and hit to the body, but not as easy to hit. Upstairs, Alvi 50-plus pro fights, definitely on the downside of his career, knocked out by Brendan Allen in his past fight. And what I really don't like, or from a violence perspective, but what I really do like, is that both guys are cutting to 185 here. alvi has gone back and forth between middleweight, light heavyweight. Going back down to 185 at 36 years old is a recipe for disaster. Oleg Seichuk looks like he always should have been fighting at middleweight as opposed to light heavyweight. He was very small for light heavyweight. So I think this certainly favors him. Going back down to 185, he should be the faster man, should be the stronger man, and Alvi may just be a little more zapped than he has been fighting at light heavyweight. So I expect Oleg Chuk to knock him out, like his knockout prop, like his inside the distance prop. I would consider his round one prop at plus 200, but I actually may even prefer to all of those the under one and a half at plus money, as opposed to laying the minus 120 in his ITD prop, tends to finish his fights earlier. If he's going to finish them, and he doesn't have the best gas, gas tank even at light heavyweight. So, moving down another weight class probably is five, seven minutes of cardio. That's when I would expect him to have the highest chance of putting Alvey away. He can get plus money on that under one and a half. That may be the best way to play it, but his ITD odds at minus 120, the fight to end inside the distance at minus 170. I think those are all fine ways to play this fight.
0: Okay, Billy, take us home. Best bet for UFC fight night.
2: Yeah, Sean referenced it a little bit, but I'm actually seeing the Terrence McKinney fight a little bit differently. So I'm going to set this up for you guys a little bit. He's had three fights in the UFC. I believe two of them are on short notice. He has two wins, both in under two minutes and 11 seconds. Then he comes out against Drew Dober, looks awesome early on, drops Dober, but then totally just tank gases out, ends up losing the fight, gets knocked out three and a half minutes in. If I'm Terrence McKinney's camp or his team, or even McKinney himself – I'm thinking that we need to get him some cage time. We need to get him, you know, practice at a measured pace, have him lasting longer in a fight. But when are you going to do that? You're not going to do that in a tough fight against Drew Dober. You're going to do it against Eric Gonzalez, who's 0-1 in the UFC and got knocked out by million-year-old Jim Miller in his debut. This is a pretty non-threatening matchup for McKinney, I think. So I I expect them to come out and just try to build some cage time. If this hits the second round, that's going to be more time than he spent in a UFC octagon in his previous three fights. And the best way I can see to bet that is the fight to start round two is plus 130. I have a suspicion that his camp is going to tell him, hey, let's win round one, like, you know, touch him up, win some minutes, and then round two kind of unleash him once we've worn him down a little bit. You know, it's hard to say because I don't know what they're thinking. I know that's what I would do if I were in McKinney's camp, and he just needs to build some endurance up. A little bit there get some experience in a fight that he doesn't win in 12 seconds so at plus money i think that's probably likelier than not to happen it's also just crazy to see a guy who's favored to win a fight inside round one so anytime i can bet against that i'm going to do it at plus money excellent stuff as always fellas uh
0: again this is not pay-per-view this week you can find these uh fights on espn espn plus uh, that's going to do it for the Action Network podcast, UFC Betting Preview. It's UFC Fight Night. Santos V. Hill uh, goes down Saturday at UFC Apex in Las Vegas. For Sean Zerillo, Billy Ward, Brendan Glasheen, we will join you all again next week. We join you every Friday uh, as the schedule works itself out and get you ready for Saturday. Thanks for tuning in. Have a great weekend. We'll talk to you next week.